Lord, we just thank you that as we turn our eyes upon you this morning, that something happens in our heart because you're so beautiful and you're so good and you're so kind. And thank you, Lord, for giving your life for us. And thank you, Lord, that by your spirit that we can hear your voice today as well as have a fresh look at your face. So we pray, Lord, that you be lifted up. We pray that you'll be glorified today. And we ask, O oh Lord, that by your spirit that you would minister to every woman's heart here today. We praise you and thank you for Jesus, Father. We love him. We thank you for him. Thank you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. I have been nearly inundated with so many things this morning that I feel God wants to say. So I'm really trusting the Holy Spirit to just take it and, and pour it out uh, into your heart this morning. Because I really feel that God has something special to say this morning. I know we say that every week because God is special at all times. And he puts special words into our hearts at all times. But I really sense this morning that he wants to do something deep. And he wants to do something that's going to bring about change in our lives. And we've been talking about change from the beginning of this year, from September. We've been looking at how God wants his Holy Spirit to change us and make us more and more beautiful like Jesus. To change us from one level of glory to another as we behold and look into the face of Christ and see, see who he is and how much he loves us. That it will change our lives, change our habits, change our thinking. And I believe that God wants to do something very, very beautiful today. We finished off last week uh, how David had... Uh, had, had killed Goliath we, we did that story and I want to pick up from that story uh, you'll see in your notes that I have written that David whose heart was shaped after God's own heart against all the odds and with just one shot want you to remember that just the one shot he defeated the Philistine giant Goliath and all Israel celebrated David and celebrated with David and we reminded ourselves last week what a picture that was of the story of Jesus, who was actually David's greater son, the Messiah who came down, who was prophesied would, be, would come down through the family tree of David. And we, we looked last week at how this picture of David going out to face Goliath is, it was a beautiful prophetic picture, thousands of years before Jesus even came to this earth, of what uh, Jesus was going to do when he went to Calvary and once and for all killed and defeated the giant of sin and death and hell. And today we, uh, in this, on this earth and, and, and the, the, the dominions that are in heaven, together we celebrate and we rejoice and we celebrate Christ for what he has done. The church in heaven and on earth Everything bows to the name of Jesus. King of kings and Lord of lords, he has already defeated the, the, the enemy. He is the Lord of heaven's armies. And this morning, I, I got a text from someone this morning before I came out, and it had a few words in it which really grabbed my attention. And then interestingly, uh, along came Olive after the prayer meeting and she had the same I didn't actually know it was out of UCB notes she had the same notes so I'm, I just think there's something in, in this that I feel maybe a lot of you have read UCB notes this morning but I just feel this is really important because we have to battle in this life there are many battles aren't there and and the thing is it's not it's not who you are that will determine whether you win the battle or not it's whose you are 
And this is what the word said in uh, UCB readings this morning. It's not about who you are, but whose you are. The day that, that, that God revealed himself to Moses, he revealed him as the I am. The name of Jesus is the solution to every problem and he's the answer to every question. His name calms every fear, seals every prayer, and wins every battle. At his name, angels bow and demons quake. At his name, our sin is vindicated and our authority is validated. Who you are is absolutely irrelevant. God doesn't use us because of us but in spite of us. It's not like heaven is going to go bankrupt if you don't tithe, except, hold on, I'm not even going to that bit of it. But you know what? Who do you belong to? That's the question. Not who you are, but whose you are. You belong to Christ. And I have this picture, can't get it out of my head, of, of David going out to face this giant, this young, this young man, just a, a, a young ordinary looking guy who was probably just wearing shepherd's clothes nothing fancy wasn't geared up in a big warrior's outfit and he goes out to face the battle and he defeats Goliath and the thing is that God wants us he wants us to know that Jesus has won the battle for us our sin's been dealt with if you have trusted Jesus as your saviour your sin has been dealt with Satan has been already defeated in your life and you can now live on the, on the back of what Christ has done for you. And he's done it once and for all. It's not that it has to be repeated. He's already won the battle. Satan has already been defeated. And after last week, I have a prayer slot in the prayer room on a Tuesday, deliberately, choose, deliberately chosen Tuesday to be my day, because a lot of us in church, we take an hour in the week, and mine's from two to three. And I was in there last week, and I was really praying over the word that went out last week, and I was trusting God that, you know, that he had placed it in hearts, and that God would, would do a work in it. And some thoughts came to me, and I wrote them down, because I really felt they were God thoughts, and I, I felt I needed to tell you what they were. Because I think there's something in this that is a word for at least a few of us. I felt that God was saying that just as David was able to take that stone and, 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 and fire that one shot that was fatal to the enemy. Now we said last week how I believe, no doubt about it, that God directed that stone right into the one place that was vulnerable to the giant and it killed him, defeated him completely. But I just felt last week as I was praying in that prayer room that God was saying that it's God's word that goes forth. It's the weapon that we have to kill the giants that try to come against us in our lives. Isn't that right? God's word is powerful. And God's word does not return unto him void. When you use God's word and you throw it at a situation or circumstance, when you use his word and you stand in faith on God's word, it will not return unto you void. And, and I love, I love um, those scriptures in Isaiah. I'll get back to the prayer in a minute. In Isaiah 55, it tells us that, that God's word does, it, goes, it says, So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please. And it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. And there's a, a, some notes in my Bible, it's the Spirit-filled Bible, and it says that God's word expands and enlarges 
potential under God. So when you when you fire a, God's word into a situation, it brings enlargement. It expands your understanding. God's, and I just say it like God's word week by week here. As God speaks into your heart, as his word hits your heart, his intention is, can you get this picture? His intention is to hit your heart and your heart just expands. You know the way a bullet would just hit? And God's word is sharp and it, it can penetrate into the darkest areas of your heart. You know the places where you're a bit confused and you're maybe annoyed, anxious, depressed, all the dark areas in your heart? God's word can just crack right in there. And, and I have this picture of it just exploding to bring enlargement and light into those dark places. And it says in, in the, um, in, in the uh, Spirit-filled Bible that that it enlarges and it, it, this, that because the word of God is seed, that it multiplies. Jesus described the word as seed. It's the source of all saving life and growth. And it's transmitted from, from God, the father of all mankind. And I've written down here, all increase of life within God's love comes by his word. We need to realize how powerful God's word is. That's why you're drawn to come here. It's not because of anything we're doing. It's because God's word is powerful. And because God himself has taken his word and he's putting it into your heart. And he's changing your lives. And I'm speaking that out prophetically because I believe that to be true. When received, God's word of promise will never be barren. The power in his word will always fulfill the promise of his word. When you receive God's word into your heart, it can't, it can't do anything else but produce fruit because his word is so powerful. We never need wonder how faith is developed or how fruitfulness is realized. Faith comes by hearing God's word. You don't have to force up to do something. Just receive his word and let his word do the, do the work. The seed will be planted and his word will begin to grow and sprout up in your heart. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by God's word. That is by receiving it wholeheartedly and humbly. Fruitfulness is the guaranteed byproduct, whether for salvation of a lost soul or a provision of a disciple's need. So if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, then God's word can put light into your heart. And you can walk out this door knowing that you belong to Jesus, that you're in the family of God, that you're eternally your, your future eternal life is secure and your life here on this earth is secure in Christ. You can walk out if, you're, if you don't know Jesus today. That can happen through God's word. And if you're a disciple, a follower of Jesus and there's darkness and there's questions and maybe a difficult situation, you can walk out of here knowing that God's shed, shedding his light into your heart and he's looking after everything that's in your life and guiding you and providing for you. God's word cannot be barren or fruit, fruitless. His own, listen to this, God's word cannot be barren or fruitless. His own life power is within it. God's power is in the word that we have today because it's God's word. And so as we, as we um, think about this, last Tuesday, I'm going back to my prayer room experience, last Tuesday I was thinking about God's word and I was thinking about how God wants us to become more skilled so that like David we can just use God's word to throw at the enemy. And you know what I felt God said? That he wants the women of Egaz to become sharp shooters of the word. That you'll get to know God's word more and more in your heart. And that you'll become sharp shooter, shooters. And <coughs> I was lying, I was working, getting ready to come out here this morning. And as I was going around the house, 
I had this picture that even as an old, aged, aged woman, can you imagine? <laughs> Some of us may be very, very old. And I've always prayed for a long life that I can serve him to the end with a clear mind. And I saw myself being really, really old. And it was like I was lying up in the bed and I was kind of thinking, it, it kind of looked like it could have been a hospital ward or something. But it was almost like I had this picture of just reaching onto the clothes and picking out, you know, one of them, you know, one of them bombs, you know, one of them <laughs> ammunition. <laughs> Word of God. And I could just see myself taking it and just lopping it over the <laughs> That's what God wants you to get. Doesn't matter what stage of life you're at. Doesn't matter how great you are or how fit you are or, or how many contacts you have. It's about taking God's word and throwing it in every situation. It's about learning to be a sharpshooter. It's learning to get God's word into your heart and the rest will follow. God's word is so powerful and so beautiful. And you know what the name, one of the names for Jesus is? The word of God. Jesus is the word of God. We can't separate him from his word. It's his word. He is the word. And so I had this picture in the prayer room of how God wanted us to become sharp shooters of the word. I have a friend, Honor, who's losing her very bad eyesight for many years. And we've been praying for her and we're believing that the sight will be restored. But many, many years ago, we got a prophecy <coughs> together. And the prophecy was that I would be shooting the word and that Honor would be lying up beside me throwing out more ammunition. <laughs> and that's why we need to work together. Because it's together as a body that we actually operate and move. And yes, the word goes out here, but you carry the word. You're carriers. And you take the word out here every week, and you can just throw it around. You can lop it around there. You can, you can put the word into people's hands. That's why I said it's so, it's so useful to take those CDs and actually give them to somebody. Because sometimes they just need to be encouraged. And you come here to hear God's word, and we can spread it, girls. And God could put one line of a verse into your heart today that would be just the right line of the verse to give to somebody else that would change their lives. And when we catch a vision of the power of the word and, and, and we have it in our hearts, we have the Holy Spirit, we have the word of God in us and we can be like David's, we can take down the giants and we can see miracles happening in our lives. And so let's look back to the, the, the plight of Israel very quickly because we're gonna look, take it a little bit further this week. And as we look back at this battle, let's remind ourselves that Saul and his son Jonathan and all the armies of Israel witnessed the 40-day period prior to the battle. For 40 days, this giant came up, strutting up every day and defying the Lord God of Israel. He was putting terror into the hearts of Israel. And for 40 days, which is a significant period of time, day after day he was coming with the same taunting, intimidating, scary words. And it's very interesting that the name Goliath means to strip. And all of Israel knew that Goliath meant to strip Israel of her blessings, of her inheritance. No wonder Jesus said that Satan is a thief who comes to kill and to steal and to destroy. And he wants to take from you, he wants to strip the very blessings of God off you. He wants to come against you just in the same way that Goliath was coming against the Israelites. But then after this, this 40 day period, 
All of Israel watched, and I'm going to read out just what my notes say, they watched with bated breath as David challenged Goliath in the name of the Lord God of Israel. And I want you to imagine the roar that went up when Goliath went down. Did you hear that? The roar that went up whenever Goliath went down. I'll tell you there was a cheer went up in heaven when Jesus defeated Satan and rose again from the dead. When he, when, the, when he defeated him on the cross and he died and was buried and rose again, a cheer went up as Jesus was coming and making his entrance into heaven. He defeated everything that we need to fear. And when David took the sword of the giant and cut off his head, everyone in Israel must have been going crazy to this. I can just imagine the trumpet blast going when they caught on. He's dead, he's dead, he's down. And everybody started blowing the trumpets. And the, and the Israelite army had been trembling and afraid in the corner. All of a sudden was risen up and, and excited and, and absolutely emboldened to go after the Philistines. The ones that had been scared to get into the battle, when they saw that Goliath was dead, and I could hear the trumpet blast going, the army rose up and they actually chased the Philistines the whole way back. They chased them right back to Gath, which was the hometown of Goliath. I'll tell you, when we know that Jesus, our hero, has defeated Satan, we have nothing to fear. We can be the ones who are on the offence. We can chase the enemy. We don't have to be coming down and afraid. We, we can go forward and we can, we can chase him and finish him off in the name of Jesus. The battle was over once and for all, and all Israel rejoiced. I believe that God wants us to know that Jesus Christ has already won the battle. And Jesus wants us to realise it has been done and it's finished. I love some of these verses in Hebrews 10 and 10. For God's will for us was to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. If you've trusted Jesus as your saviour, you've received forgiveness of sin. And Jesus has done it once the battle is over. Romans 6 and 10. When Jesus died, he died once to break the power of sin. So it's not only to forgive you and to wash you clean and to bring you into the body of Christ. You're forgiven the moment you receive Jesus as your saviour. But he died once so that, he, that you could actually break the power of sin over you. Not that we'll ever think we'll be sinless because we've still got an old body and an old nature that drags us offside. But we can learn that the norm becomes more about winning victories. That, the, that a normal Christian life is more about being an overcomer than being one who's constantly falling. And this is why we love to see you built up in God. First Peter 3 and 18 says, Christ suffered once, Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. We are safe, we are secure, but God wants to see us being changed by the power of the cross. He wants to see us, he wants to see our lives changed. He wants to see us blessed. So after this battle, and we looked at that last week, and in a way I'm still kind of going over that, we're going to look today at how, how Saul and Jonathan both reacted to David's victory in a different way. Because when Saul realised that David had killed Goliath, and that Israel needn't be afraid anymore, the, the giant was dead, instead of rejoicing and entering into the joy of that victory, 
Saul became very jealous and fearful of David. So we're going to look at a we're going to look at chapter 17, 1 Samuel 17, and we're going to just read a few verses there and then into 1 Samuel 18. It says, When Saul saw David going out against the Philistine, he said to Abner, the commander of his army, Whose son is this youth? And Abner said, As your soul lives, O king, I do not know. So the king said, Inquire whose son this young man is. Then as David returned from the slaughter of the Philistines, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the head of the Philistine in his hand. And Saul said to him, Whose son are you, young man? So David answered, I am the son of your servant, Jesse, the Bethlehemite. And we looked last week, I'm not going to go over too quickly, too much, but just last week we looked at how it wasn't that Saul didn't know David. David had ministered and played to him. He did know him. But all of a sudden, when he saw David's strength and his boldness to go out and fight this giant, all of a sudden, Saul was interested to know, what's his family tree? What's his lineage? Where did he come from? Because Saul knew that God was going to replace him on the throne. And all of a sudden, instead of seeing David as someone who could help him, he saw David as someone who could be a threat to him. Someone who could take his position. And so jealousy filled his heart. And so Saul's response to the victory was that he didn't appreciate it. He didn't enter into the good of it. He just became jealous and afraid of David. Whereas Jonathan, Saul's son, had a very different reaction. Let's read what it says in chapter 18 of 1 Samuel. Now when, he had fin- when David had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took David that day and would not let him go home to his father's house any more. Then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan took off the robe that was on him and gave it to David with his armour, even to his sword and his bow and his belt. So we're just going to stop there. And uh, we're going to look at Jonathan's reaction. Jonathan was watching David, just the same way that Saul was watching him. Jonathan was watching David as he went out to the battlefield. But when Jonathan saw the courage that was in David... And when he saw David, this small young man, going out to to face this gigantic giant of a man, something drew Jonathan's heart to David. That actually, Jonathan saw God's man in David. He realised that David was God's champion. Remember we looked at champion being like the middle man, the one who would stand between and David, Jonathan saw something in David that day as he watched him go out to face the giant that drew his heart to David instead of away. Saul's heart was repelled against David. Jonathan's heart was drawn to David. And that day, Jonathan, Jonathan just loved that this was God's man. And Jonathan was the one who had the right to the throne after his father Saul. I mean, he was the one who had everything to lose. And yet, because Jonathan saw something of God in David and saw the courage of God and realised he was God's champion, he was God's middleman, that he was the one who was going to save Israel, something happened in Jonathan's heart that day that his heart was knit in love to David. Right down to the very point where he was willing to take off his his royal robe and his armour and his sword and his bow and his belt 
What was Jonathan doing? He was saying, do you know what? I recognise you're God's man. I recognise you're the champion. I recognise you're the middleman that's standing between us and Israel. You're saving Israel today. And Jonathan is actually saying, you know, I recognise you as being the one who has saved Israel. And I am giving you my full allegiance. And when I take my royal robe off me, I'm saying here, you can have the kingdom. I would prefer you to be king instead of me. Here, David, take my robe, take my arm. Armor, the thing that I use to defend myself on an everyday basis, the way I handle my everyday life. Here, take my bow and my sword and my belt. Take all of my armour. Jonathan was handing over everything to David. What a contrast. What, what a contrast between the two responses. Saul, who's cringing in and fearful and not wanting, jealous of David, not wanting to have anything to do with him, missing out on the blessing of the victory. And here's Jonathan, and he's seeing something of God in David, and he said, here, David, I'll give you everything I have, and I want you to be on the throne instead of me. What a beautiful picture. The Old Testament is so full of pictures of truth in the New Testament. Because when Jesus went out to the cross and died on the cross for your sins and for mine, he did it once and for all. He paid the price for your sins. He took your sins in his own body on the cross, we're told in the Bible. He paid the price for your sins so that you and I could be free, so that you and I could be saved. And when we look at him and we see what Christ has done, we can respond in one of two ways. We can be like Saul and we can say, that's not for me. I just prefer to go my own religious way. I've got my own thing going here. Or we can respond like Jonathan. And we can see that Jesus loved us. Jesus loves me. This I know for the Bible tells me so. And we can see Jesus going to the cross because he loved me. When you get a vision like that, when you see that he went to the die on the cross for you, as if there was never anybody else in this world, only you, when you get a vision of that, when you get a vision of Jesus dying for you, and you get a revelation of it, I can tell you your heart will be knit to Christ. And you'll want to hand over. You want to strip yourself voluntarily <coughs> of all that you are. Your identity. Jonathan's identity was in the royal robe. He took it off. He said, here, my allegiance and my devotion <coughs> to you, David. And that's what happens whenever we fall in love with Jesus. That's what happens when we see him going out to the cross to die for us, to slay the giant of sin and death and hell. When we get a glimpse of what Jesus has done, the devotion rises up in our hearts. Our heart is knit with Christ. And just in the same way as Jonathan entered into a covenant relationship with David. That's exactly what happens with us. At that moment of giving him our allegiance and receiving his gift of salvation, our hearts are knit with his. It's what the Bible refers to in other places. It's like a soul tie. It's a tie between two people. And that day, Jonathan gave his allegiance to the shepherd king. The shepherd who he knew was one day going to be the king. And that's the call in our lives today. Because Jesus loves you so much and he longs for your heart to be knit with his. He wants you to give your identity over to him. He wants you to give, you know that the way that you operate, 
you know, using a, sort of in a picture form your, your sword and your bow and the armour you put on, he wants you to put that all down. And he wants you to take on his armour and he wants you to take on your allegiance with Christ and he wants you to learn to live the way he lived. He wants you to learn to speak and to think the way he speaks and he thinks. And that day, Jonathan was willing to lay aside his right to rule, to prefer David to be king. And he gave David, he gave David all that he had. There are good soul ties and bad soul ties. Sometimes we form soul ties with people who try to control us. Sometimes we get into relationships that are not good for us. The Bible does not endorse those kind of soul ties. But a true soul tie, we see it often in a good marriage for this good love that's, that's, that reflects the love of Christ to his church. That's a good soul tie. And God wants you to know that he's inviting you into this, this tie, this soul tie, where your soul is one with Christ. That's a good, that's the best soul tie. That's what happened with Jonathan and David. I love to think of Jonathan and David coming together, probably two extremes. Who would have ever thought this shepherd boy, this little upstart, if you like, who would have thought that he and the king's son would have become so close? Who would have thought that they would have got entered into covenant with each other? You know, I was laughing with Jane this morning because Dave William goes to a little group on a Monday night and um, there's lots of other young people with learn, learning disabilities and there's one particular young man who is quite a loner and doesn't really bother with, with many people and William has kind of begun to speak over to him a little bit and call him over. William put the finger like this when he wants you to come over and Jane was saying last night William had tripped and he'd, he'd hurt himself a wee bit so he was sitting over on his own and he was a wee bit sorry for himself and he looked over at this young man and he went put the finger for him to come over and this wee lad who doesn't bother really with many he came over and Jane says she could hear him tapping William on the back and he says don't you worry mate you stick with me and you'll be all right <laughs> you see there's a wee bit of a soul tie coming there a wee bit of a connection God wants you to have a connection with him a connection with heaven he wants you to know that whenever you're with him you're going to be all right, mate, because you're connected to the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. He wants to enter into covenant with you. Do you know that when Jesus went to the cross, he, he made a covenant with you in his own blood? Remember before he went to the cross, he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. This is a new covenant in my blood. Do you know that you're in a covenant? If you know Jesus as your saviour, you're in a covenant relationship that is sealed by the blood of Jesus. What assurance, what a wonderful situation to be in. What a wonderful way to live, to know that we belong to Christ. The picture of Christ and the church, it's in this scenario. We can see it so clearly because Satan has been the Goliath who's been holding this planet to ransom since man sinned in the Garden of Eden. But God the Father loved us so much that he gave his only son to be our champion, our middle man. The one who, like David, was willing to go out and slay the giant. And Jesus was willing to go to the battlefield and fight the giant on our behalf. And all heaven has been cheering and celebrating since. 
The battle is over. We have just got to enter into the blessings of what Jesus Christ has done. And today we can be like Saul or we can be like Jonathan. We can choose to resist and refuse God's love and gift of salvation or we can choose to love and embrace Jesus as our Saviour and Lord. And when we choose the Jonathan route, we want to strip ourselves of everything. Remember, Goliath, his name means strip. Satan wants to strip you of everything that's good because he is the epitome of evil. And Satan is the one who would strip you and stop you from going on with God. But when we get an understanding of who Jesus is, we will voluntarily want to take all that old rubbish off us. Strip ourselves of all those wrong thoughts. Strip ourselves of all those wrong actions, that old nature that pulls us the wrong way. Throw it off and make our allegiance with Christ. When we choose the Jonathan route, we want to strip ourselves of everything and hand it over to Jesus. And our hearts will be knit with his heart in covenant love. Like Jonathan, we will want to forfeit our worldly identity and give our all to Jesus so as to become more like him and to bow the knee to him as our shepherd king. The position of Saul and and David after the battle. Let's just read a few verses uh, again from 1 Samuel 18, verse 5. It says, So David went out and wherever Saul went out wherever Saul sent him and behaved himself wisely. And Saul set him over the men of war, and David was accepted in the sight of all the people, and also in the sight of Saul's servants. So you see David here being wise and behaving himself wisely. This victory didn't go to his head. He wasn't prancing around like showing off. No, he behaved himself wisely. It says, Now it happened as they were coming home. When David was returning from the slaughter of the Philistines, so David had been out to war, when he was coming home that the woman had come out of all the cities of Israel, singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with joy and with musical instruments. Do you get the picture? They're coming back, they're riding their horses, they're coming back from war, they've defeated the enemy, and, and Saul and Jonathan, they're all there, and the woman come out to, to, to start to sing their praises and they began to dance. So the woman sang as they danced and said, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. Well, that must have gone down like a lead balloon. <laughs> Saul would have been elated when he heard, Saul has slain his thousands. I can just see Saul's chest going out. But then when the next line of the song came, but David his ten thousands, that was like a stab to Saul's heart. Because Saul's heart was still away from God. Saul didn't know who he was. He had what Jesus referred to as an orphan spirit. Saul Saul was a man who had closed God out of his heart. Who was not allowing God to stretch and fill him with a greater knowledge and love of God. Saul was like this little orphan spirit that was shrinking inside and being consumed by jealousy. He couldn't bear to hear David being praised and and given precedence over him. He couldn't bear it. It was too much for Saul. Saul was so insecure and consumed with jealousy. And you know what? Saul was so controlling. You know, one of the things that, that, that describe an orphan spirit is control. Feeling that you have to always be in control. 
Now, in case you're wondering, what is she talking about, an orphan spirit? Is that even biblical? Well, it is, because let's just read from John chapter 14, and let's see what Jesus said about the orphan spirit. John 14, when just before Jesus went back to the Father, after he had won the victory on the cross, here's what he said in John 14. He said, And I will pray the Father, verse 16, and he will give you another helper, as the Holy Spirit, that he may abide with you forever. He is the Spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. And said Jesus, I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. Do you see what Jesus was going to do? Do you see who he was going to send? The Holy Spirit of truth. It's the Holy Spirit of truth who can shine the truth into our hearts that can change us from having an orphan spirit where we feel we don't belong, where we don't really know God as our heavenly father, where we don't know his forgiveness, where we don't know his comfort, where we're just like an orphan that has never really understood the love of the father. Jesus said he would not leave us without the Holy Spirit. He would send the Holy Spirit of truth so that we would no longer need to be spiritual orphans. And the spiritual orphans is when we believe a set of things that are lies. Because remember, remember that Satan himself, Jesus called him the father of lies. And from you were in the womb and from you were a child, you have been bombarded day and daily by the words that come out of the mouth of the father of lies. He is the God of this world. He is the one who's operating through uh, your TV, through the whole um, of social media. He's, he's in conversations amongst people who don't know Christ. And sometimes, sad to say, even, even we listen, those of us who do belong to Christ, we listen to those lies because the father of lies wants you to become a, a, a spiritual orphan who is shrinking and, and, and moving away from God. And God is your heavenly Father. I'm just going to read this a couple of wee bits that printed out this morning. Our earthly Father has a huge impact on how we view our heavenly Father. When we are secure in our relationship with our earthly Father, it's much easier to have trust in the security of our heavenly Father. I think we all know that, that how we see God can be coloured by the experience we've had with our own earthly parents. But God is not like, because the very best of earthly parents cannot be perfect. They cannot be perfect because all of us, the Bible says, have come short, have come short of the glory of God. All have sinned. All of us have sinned. No parent is ever perfect. And so no matter how good an upbringing we've had, we, we cannot have a perfect upbringing. It says here, unfortunately, because we are human, no one is going to have as perfect as perfect of an earthly father as the perfection we find in our heavenly father. I love the fact that God is both father and mother. I haven't tempted to go into that, maybe some other time. He's the El die, the God of the breast. He's a perfect parent. He can, he, can, he can meet every need that you will have. He is your heavenly father as well as your heavenly mother, the, the heart of God, the El die. And maybe even worse than having an earthly father that's fallible and maybe failed you in many ways 
It's possible that you that you may be grown up without without a father or without a mother, and and that is such a difficult thing, because if we're not secure in the love of our earthly father and mother's hearts, how can we be secure in the heart of our heavenly father? But God, with all things, are possible, and God, I believe, wants to give us all a fresh understanding of how He wants us to get rid of this orphan spirit. You see, Saul had an orphan spirit. He he was full of he was full of insecurities. He was a, a king who was constantly trying to hold on to control. He couldn't trust he couldn't trust God to be in control. And that's one of the symptoms of an orphan heart. Because an orphan doesn't have anybody to take care of them. And an orphan an orphan is always searching for love and for meaning in life. And an orphan has had to live on, her, on his or her wits and, and had to cope with life and provide for themselves because they don't know what it is to have a parent who will provide for them and a parent who will protect them. So an orphan spirit is one who lives with fear and who's constantly trying to look after themselves and be in control. And, and control was a big issue in Saul's life. And sad to say, control remains even in the lives of those who know Jesus, control can be an issue that God wants us to hand control over to him. God does not want you to have to deal with your own issues in your own way. He wants you to learn to hand things over to him. And when you start handing over problems and handing over things you're afraid of and handing over situation, when you start handing those things to God, something will change where you don't have to hold on to control anymore. And God wants you free. But Saul was not prepared to let go. Saul was holding on for grim death. I believe that that God wants us to get a look at Saul and see what happened. Let's read on. It says, when Saul heard what they were singing about David, that David had slain his ten thousands, verse 8, or 1 Samuel 18 says, Then Saul was very angry. And the saying displeased him. And he said, they've ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed only thousands. Now, what more can David have but the kingdom? Do you see the insecurities? So David, so Saul eyed David from that day forward. And it happened on the next day that the distressing spirit from God came upon Saul. And, he, and it says he prophesied inside the house. Now that word prophesied, actually in the original has the idea of he raved. Have you ever seen anybody raving? Kind of out of their head and just talking nonsense, raving. That's the idea behind this word. It's not, it's, it's, it's probably in your Bible translated prophesied. Anybody, any other thing, anything else other than prophesied? Yeah? Raved, yes. Raved the more accurate one. So he raved inside the house. So David played music with his hand as at other times. So David's playing the, the harp again. He's playing the music. He's playing the worship music to try and calm Saul down. And it says, but there was a spear in Saul's hand. And Saul cast the spear, for he said, I will pin David to the wall. But David escaped his presence twice. Now Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with David. But he had departed from Saul. I just want to finish our reading there today and we want to just look at this this competitiveness, this rivalry, this insecurity that Saul 
had in his heart. This not knowing who he really was, this man who was trying to control everything, this man who felt that he had to take a spear and instead of embracing David the way Jonathan had, he's actually taken a spear and he's firing it to try and pin David to the wall. You see, when we don't really know God, when we don't know him as our Heavenly Father, when we haven't experienced the gift of salvation from Jesus, when we haven't seen that Jesus has already defeated the giants for us and we're saved through what Christ has done on the cross, when we haven't seen that, then we don't know what it is to be a son or a daughter of God. Isn't that right? And, and, and when we don't know our true position in the family of God, when you don't really understand that you're his daughter and he loves you and he died for you, do you know what happens? Fear comes in. The Bible says that perfect love casts out fear. God's perfect love is the only answer to an orphan's spirit. And, and Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with David. Jealousy and fear and rivalry and competitiveness and having to work things out for yourself and controlling everything, they're all symptoms of an orphan spirit. And when we grieve the Holy Spirit and like Saul, we're throwing, we're throwing spears at other Christians or other people in our lives and we're, we're all full of all the wrong emotions, all these negative emotions of hatred and anger and all of this stuff that can stir up in us sometimes. When we start to behave like that, you know what happens? We actually begin to realise that we, we haven't got God's anointing on us anymore and we, we're not in good form. And when we start to, when we start to feel like that and we, we, we sense that God's not pleased with us, something happens that usually we start to fire arrows or darts, or spears at other people. It's what you call projecting blame. We start to blame others. And that's exactly what Saul was doing in this situation. He was throwing blame, and he was throwing spears towards, uh, towards David. It says the very next day, he threw a spear at David, intending to pin him to the wall. Why? Because he was afraid of David. And I've written in your notes that as Saul's heart continued to shrink with fear and jealousy, he became more and more orphan-like. He eyed David, it says, from that day forward, and the distressing spirit came again so that he raved in the house. I've written in your notes that Saul was raving while David was worshipping. That's the choice. You know, even as Christians, it's possible for us sometimes to go backwards instead of forwards. Sometimes, even as Christians, we can be operating and even doing work for God, and all the time we are operating out of a wrong spirit. I'll read a couple of bits out of this. There are many reasons why we might be living with an orphan spirit, even as believers. Maybe we didn't feel treasured by someone important to us. Maybe we didn't receive proper physical touch. Maybe we were abused. Maybe we didn't develop authentic, deep, meaningful relationships with our loved ones. Maybe we didn't receive unconditional love. Maybe we actually got all of those things, but we've been living with an orphan spirit without even realizing it, and it's become a way of life for us, a habit. You see, sometimes from early on in life, disappointments or things that happen to us, we can begin to believe the lies of the enemy. And when you believe the lies of the enemy about yourself and about other people and about God, you can have a whole, a whole thought process that goes round your head and it goes round and round and round. And you're actually thinking not the way God thinks, 
but you're thinking the way the enemy of your soul wants you to think. He wants you to think like an orphan. He doesn't want you to know that you can run to your daddy God. Abba, Father. When you realise that when you trust Jesus Christ as your saviour, that by his spirit you are born into God's family, when you realise your position in Christ, you know you can run straight into your, into your daddy, Abba, God's arms. You, you have a whole different picture of who God is and what he thinks of you. You have a whole new picture of how God's people can relate to each other because you're not relating in jealousy and you don't have to be like anybody else. God created you to be just you. Nobody else. You don't have to try and be anybody else. And God wants us to enjoy this. I was sharing a little bit last night with a group about this whole orphan spirit thing and I was reminded how in Israel two or three years ago we were in the swimming pool one day and there was a, a, an Israeli family in the pool and one of the, the father of the family was throwing the kids up in the air in the pool and, and, and catching them and they were splashing in the water and there was just great fun going on. And I could hear the, the talk between them and I could hear the children and they were shouting, Abba, Abba, Abba. And my heart just stopped because that's the name that's given in Romans for Daddy God. We call him Abba, Father. Abba is the Hebrew word for father. And when I saw those children and the way he was throwing them up, I thought, that's the way God wants to interact with us. He wants us to know that he's joyful and he's so pleased to be our father and he wants us to enjoy life with him. He wants us to know what it's like to be thrown up in the air. We used to sing a song about that. I'm looking at Pauline, you remember that song, Pauline, we used to sing. And there's something beautiful about knowing that God loves you in that, in that way. It's intimate, it's beautiful. You know, we're so religious with such an orphan mindset that we see this all as being a big religious act. No, it's not religious. It's a relationship with your heavenly father who says you're not an orphan. You're not on your own. You're my child. I want to put my arms around you. I am your father and I am your mother and I want to give you all that you need and I want you to come and enjoy life's journey with me because we're going to go through this life together. That's what God is saying to us today. There is so much more. God has an eternal purpose for all of us. Do you know what it is? It's to enjoy him and to live with him and for him and to have his Holy Spirit flow out of our lives, out of our mouths, out of our actions so that the world looks on and says, wow, what kind of a person is she? Where does she come from that the world looks and sees a new species? Because you know what? We don't belong to this world system. We belong to Christ. We are God's children. He is our Father. We are not orphans. We are not on our own. And God wants us to change those old, those old habits of reacting out of an orphan spirit to jealousy and fear. God wants us to know that we don't have to be afraid because his perfect love casts out fear. He wants our hearts to be expanding. He wants us to know him as our shepherd king. I'm just about to finish. The shepherd king. Oh, wow. What a king he is. He's the shepherd. You know, when we think of the shepherd, we think of how he pours the oil on the head of the sheep, don't we? I love that bit because, you know, in Eastern, in Eastern uh, times, when they poured oil on the head of the sheep, uh, it was to... It was to maybe heal up wounds, but it was also to stop insects coming and burning their way right into the head of the sheep that would drive them crazy. 
And I often think how God wants to pour his oil of anointing over our heads so that our thought processes will not drive us crazy. That we'll start thinking like God. We'll start believing and speaking out what God says and what, how he speaks to us. But the shepherd also not only poured the oil on and not only led the sheep by, through, took them through the valleys and, and took them, uh, took them on the, um, led them through life and, and gave them goodness and mercy and, and, and brought them to green pastures and all of those beautiful things. But the shepherd would have protected the sheep. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me, but also the, the, the shepherd would have protected the sheep. And I think sometimes we need to remember that God is the shepherd who gives his life. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd who gives his life for the sheep. He's already proven his love for you. He will protect you as well as provide for you. He is a shepherd who will meet your need. He is a shepherd who will walk with you through those valleys. And as, as I'm just about to wind up, but just over the last weekend, I just really experienced God as this shepherd. Sometimes a shepherd had to be like a warrior. David went out to meet Goliath, he was a warrior, but he was a shepherd. And we need to know that our God is a warrior as well as a shepherd. He is one who will protect us, who will walk with us, but he's a warrior. And, and I just really felt that it was so important that we see God as being a great, great warrior. I want to read this to you. We see David going out into the valley situation to fight Goliath. It says in, I can hardly tell where I'm here. <clears throat> what is, where is this? Lord, where is this? I'm, there's about two or three verses I want to read to you. It says, the Lord stands beside me like a great warrior. Before him, my persecutors will stumble. They cannot defeat me. They will fail and be thoroughly humiliated. You need to know that the God who stands with you is a warrior. It goes on to say in these verses in Jeremiah, Jeremiah 20, O Lord of heaven's armies, you test those who are righteous and you examine the deepest thoughts and secrets. We need to realize that God is a God who is a warrior. Over the weekend, something just came up uh, that Jane and I were involved in that kind of annoyed us a little bit, certainly annoyed me. And, you know, normal times, it would have really flummoxed me because I would have just come right underneath condemnation. But, you know, I had read these verses just a few days before. And all of a sudden, I got a different picture. And I felt God said to me, instead of coming to me as your judge, come to me as your father and talk this over with me. And I started to do that, just to talk to him about, do you know sometimes in life, things can get a little bit difficult in that somehow you feel you've been brought into a bit of a trap. Do you ever feel that? Where suddenly you find yourself in a situation and you think, oh, that's a bit of a trap of the enemy. I don't know what to do here. But you know, I just brought it to my heavenly father. And I realized he was a tall warrior. And I realized that he knew everything in my heart. He realized the motives. He realized everything about me. And I was able to bring it to my father and ask him for advice. And you know, over the weekend, just through a process, he made everything very clear. He just tidied it up for me. He just let me out of the snare. And maybe some of you are here today and you feel that you've been ensnared, maybe in a situation, a relationship, or something has happened, and you feel it's like you're in, in a trap of the enemy and you can't get out. I want to tell you that God is the God who is a mighty warrior, who will fight for you, but who will also take you out of the trap of the enemy. He's way ahead of the enemy. He knows how to take you through. And isn't it glorious that he understands all our thoughts? and we can bring them all before him. Pour them out before him. What's the secret to the orphan spirit? God's truth. 
beginning to replace the lies with God's truth. That's a process. That's, that's how we change from the orphan to the daughter of God. The orphan to the son and the daughter who knows who they are in Christ and rejoices in it, who is free to dance in the knowledge of who they are. Jesus is the great, he's the great shepherd, the one who gives life for the sheep. Let me just read this to you and then we're going to, we're going to sing. Hebrews 13, 20 to 21. Now, may the God of peace, who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you what is pleasing to his sight. Through Jesus Christ, to him be glory forever and ever. Let's praise him as we sing this next song. Let's just stand and we sing all for Jesus. Last week in the prayer room, uh, as I was praying for you girls, I had a picture of God's word as being like a hammer. We're told that in Jeremiah, that God's word is like a hammer. And I had a picture of like a great big sledgehammer and it was uh, it was working, you know the way you have like an anvil that goes in to pry something up? And it was like this hammer was hitting like an anvil that was in a, in a, in a pavement stone. You know the way the pavement's big slabs? And I had this picture really, really clear and it's come back to me again. It was like God's word was actually on using this anvil, it was it was hammering down like a great sledgehammer to to get this this pavement stone dislodged and up. And I wrote down what I felt God was saying. I felt that God wanted to take up something that had been walked on, a way of walking for a very long time. And God was digging something up that was very deep in some of our hearts because God wants us to have a different kind of walk. He doesn't want us to be the same as we were last year or the year before, last week. He wants us to be different. And I think God's word is actually uprooting some things in our lives. Old ways of thinking, old ways of doing things. Because God wants to change us and make us more like Jesus. And his word is a hammer that will go in and will prize up some of those things that maybe we aren't even aware that's there. That day, Jonathan got a glimpse of David as the one who saved Israel. When we get a glimpse of Jesus, that he has saved us, he's given his life for us, we will want to hand over everything. We'll not want to hold on to anything. We'll want to hand it over. Don't hold on to anxieties and fears and guilt and bitterness and unforgiveness, all that rubbish. Don't hold on to it. Hand it over to Jesus. Don't hold on to your old ways of doing things. I've worked like this for 40 years, 50 years. I'll just continue. No, hand over everything. Give your allegiance to the shepherd king because he's the great shepherd, shepherd of your soul and he has only your best interest at heart. And he wants to take you on a journey that's closer to him and more like him and into the eternal purposes that he has for your life. In Jesus' name we say, Amen. Amen. Be blessed and we'll see you next week.